0: The story of our Savior began long before that iconic silent night and the lineage of our Lord runs deep, disguised in the downcast and dejected, and through shadowed sorrow and suffering it starkly stands. Though at times hushed and hidden, the holy remain ushered in, never turning back when others turn their backs, ever and always keeping its kin. The blessed and beautiful, passed over and protected, tying up the promise and wrapping up the gift to be given, again and again and again, the very face of grace at Christmas.
1: the things I love about Christmas are all the family traditions that we have. Um, When I married Stephanie, I married into one of her family traditions. For years, they've been doing a white elephant gift exchange. Now, if you've never been part of a white elephant gift exchange, how it works is you find something that's really odd, maybe maybe funny or whimsical, something that's just kind of obnoxious, maybe something laying around your house or something inexpensive at the store. You buy it, you wrap it up, and then anonymously put it kind of in a group of, of presents, and then everybody that gave a gift receives a gift, then you go around, you open them up, and it's just a lot of fun to see these weird items that uh, people unwrap. And because her family has been doing this gift exchange for years, there are some reoccurring gifts. Every year, every, every couple years, this gift will resurface and when somebody opens it, it brings back all these memories and everyone just has a, has a great time with it. Now, a few years after we got married, uh, we were there at the gift exchange and I drew the high number. So that means you go last. And whenever you go last with the white elephant, normally you're left with the biggest item and that was true there. So here's the gift that I unwrapped that first year I think it's a stool. I'm not even sure what this thing is. Uh, I opened it up and everybody started screaming and yelling because they've seen it for years. One of Stephanie's relatives made this years ago and it's just been passed back and forth throughout the family. But as soon as I opened up this gift, my very first thought was I cannot wait to give this away. And the next year I did. So uh, I want to thank my, my brother-in-law, Dustin for uh, pulling this out of his house. He's the one who has, has it right now and uh, letting me use it for, uh, uh, for purposes. I'm going to set this aside so it's not distracting. And uh, I don't know, maybe if I get tired later, I could, I could take a seat. But the reason I tell you that story is because there is a gift that the family of God has. And it's a gift that they keep passing back and forth to one another. But unlike that gift, it's not odd, it's not obnoxious, and it certainly is not cheap. It's a gift that we see all throughout the story of Ruth. So today we're going to be in the book of Ruth. That's found in the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn it on or uh, open it up and uh, we're going to be there. And uh, as you're flipping over to the book of Ruth, I just want to say hello to those of you that are joining us online. So grateful to have you there and uh, special good morning to everybody that's in the great room. And I really want to say hi to everybody at the Edina Campus. So thankful that you are joining us and hope you all are having a great, uh, great Christmas. We are in a series called experiencing Christmas grace, we're looking at the women who are found in the genealogy of Jesus that was recorded by Matthew. There are five women in that genealogy and we're hearing their stories. And today, we're gonna come into the story of Ruth. And by looking at the story of Ruth, we're gonna see this family gift that this family keeps passing back and forth. And once we understand what this gift is, it's gonna help us to understand why Ruth is part of the Christmas story And it's gonna help us understand how God's grace becomes relevant in our own lives. So here is how the book of Ruth opens. It opens this way. It says, in those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Okay, so this puts us in the historical context of the nation of Israel. The story of Israel is they were enslaved in Egypt and God led them out of slavery. They came out of Egypt through the Red Sea and wandered in the desert for a while because of their disobedience. And eventually, they crossed over the Jordan River and came into the land that was promised to them. That's the land of Israel, even to this day. And it was a land that God had promised to their forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And he said, eventually, your descendants will be here on this land, and I will be their God, and they will be my people, and I will take care of them. But no sooner than the people of God had come into the land of Israel, they forgot about God. They got distracted by all the great things in the land and they paid attention to their neighbors and they completely forgot about God and that began to start a whole series of cycles that the people of God went through. So the nation of Israel would go through these cycles where they had forgotten about God that would lead them into sin. That caused there to be judgment from God. There were famines or uh, other neighboring nations would bring their armies in and invade the people of Israel. And then in their distress, they would call out to God. They'd repent of their sins. God would forgive them. He'd raise a judge up to help bring them back to himself. And then he'd restore them and things would get good and comfortable again. And then they'd forget about God. And the process would go through again. And it's in the midst of these cycles that we find this story. In fact, there's a man in Israel. He lives in the town of Bethlehem that's about ready to take matters into his own hands because there's a famine in the land. Ruth opens, goes on to say, So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech. Now, when Elimelech left to go into Moab, this wasn't just relocating for work. When he left the promised land and he crossed over east, over the Jordan River, into the land of Moab, it was basically him saying, God, I no longer trust you to provide for my family. I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to go into another land that another foreign god oversees, and I'm leaving what you have here. In fact, even leaving the town of Bethlehem was significant because in the Hebrew, that that name Bethlehem means house of bread. So he's saying, God, I'm rejecting your house of bread. I'm taking matters into my own hands. And no sooner than Elimelech got into Moab, he died. And so now Naomi, his wife, is left there with her two sons. And so Naomi is trying to make a go of it. So she has her sons get married to Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And there they have a, a little family for about 10 years. But a decade later tragedy strikes again and both of her sons die and so naomi is left in moab a widow now taking care of two younger widows and the gift exchange is about ready to begin in this context so just to keep track of this story um we've got a fun little felt board over here and uh, there's a number of characters that we're going to be seeing in this story and as we do these gift exchanges i just don't want us to lose sight of what's all happening in the story. So uh, this is going to be Naomi. So Naomi is in Moab and she's there in Moab and she is without her husband and without her sons. And she turns to Orpah and she turns to Ruth, these two younger widows. And she says, listen, I have nothing to offer you. Widows in that day had, had no social services, no social support. There was no government programs. If you didn't have a family, you had nothing. And so she said, I don't have any family here. I've got nothing to offer you. So I'm going back to Israel. I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of my God. You two stay here, find new families, find new husbands, restart your life. And Orpah assesses the situation and goes, you know what? You're right. You've got nothing for me. I'm staying here. But her other daughter-in-law, Ruth, responds in a totally different way. So let's get Ruth on the board here. Here's the other daughter-in-law that's also a younger widow. And Ruth does now the very first gift exchange that we see in this family, the first of these seven gift exchanges. Ruth, in this moment, gives to Naomi an incredible gift. In fact, the the gift is recorded for us in Ruth 1.16. It says this, But Ruth replied to Naomi, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. And then she says these amazing words. She says, Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. What an amazing gift that she is giving to Naomi. She's saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm staying with you and understand this gift that Ruth is giving to Naomi is an incredibly costly gift. Ruth is leaving everything she's ever known. She spent her whole life in Moab, her family is there, all the gods that she would have served would have been the gods of Moab. She's leaving all of that to follow Naomi, and Naomi has nothing to offer her. And let alone for two widows to make this journey from Moab to Bethlehem, they had to cross over the Jordan River. I mean, it wasn't a safe journey to begin with. There was no guarantee the two of them would even make it to Bethlehem alive. But even if they did, what could Naomi offer to Ruth? But Ruth is committed to Naomi anyway. And I have to imagine that for Naomi to hear those words from Ruth, would have been like God's grace himself coming and blessing her. You know, it's oftentimes in our deepest moment of distress that God's grace impacts us the most. And so they get to Bethlehem and Ruth's gift keeps on giving. Not only did she make the journey with Naomi, now she is committed to providing for Naomi. Now, keep in mind, there's no jobs for widows in this culture. But the people of Israel were instructed by God that whenever they harvested their agriculture, so whether they harvested grain or they'd go through the vineyards and they'd, and they'd take the grapes off the vines, they were always instructed to just leave a little bit extra. Because that way, anyone who was poor and didn't have work or didn't have property, they would do what was called gleaning. Basically, after the harvesters had gone through, they would just come behind them and, and take any scraps that were left over. And perhaps if if somebody worked really hard, they could glean all day and and maybe collect enough to be able to, to feed themselves and their family. And so this is what Ruth is going to do to provide for Naomi. And so she goes to a field and she starts to glean. And she just so happens, because God arranged it, that the field in which she gleans is owned by a man named Boaz. So let's get Boaz on our board here. And Ruth doesn't realize this But Boaz is actually a distant relative of Naomi. So Boaz comes to his field, and he sees this woman he's never seen before, gleaning. And he asks his workers, what's going on with her? And they say, oh, that's the Moabite woman that came back with Naomi. And Boaz had heard the story, and it had impressed him. And so he says to Ruth, essentially, I'm going to give you a gift. And this is the second gift exchange. Boaz is now giving this incredible gift to Ruth. And the gift he gives to her is, he says, I want you to stay here in my field and glean only in my field. I've told my workers to take care of you. In fact, I've told my workers to help you, to instruct you on how to be successful in gleaning. And you can even share in their resources. Drink from their water jug. I want you to be protected because I'm so impressed with how you're taking care of Naomi. I want to bless you. And then Boaz actually gives her some extra grain. So this first night, Ruth comes home, and she meets with Naomi and has all of this available, and Naomi is just so impressed, and she says, where were you? And she says, well, I was in the field of this man named Boaz, and she says, he's actually one of our relatives. But what's incredible is is this great gift that that Boaz had given to Ruth, she turns around and immediately shares it with her mother-in-law, Naomi. She doesn't keep it for herself. And so this goes on for a while. Ruth continues to glean in the field so she and Naomi can be provided for until one day Naomi comes to Ruth and says, Ruth, now it's time for me to give a gift to you. And this is our third gift exchange. And so Naomi comes and says, Ruth, you've been taking care of me. I need to find a husband for you so that you can have a home in which you can find rest. Now, this was a risky gift that Naomi was giving to Ruth because there's no guarantee that Ruth would get married to somebody in Bethlehem that would allow Ruth to support Naomi. If Ruth got married to another family and they had mouths to feed, that husband may tell Ruth, you're not able to take care of your former mother-in-law anymore. I've got my own family. That's just kind of how the culture of the day worked. So this was a risk for Naomi, but she had a plan. And she said, let's approach Boaz and see if he would be the one willing to marry you. And so it's threshing time, it's harvest time. And so they knew that Boaz would likely be spending the night on the threshing floor. And that's what farmers did in this day. After they'd thresh all their grain, they would spend the night there by the grain to make sure robbers didn't come and steal it. And so they think this is a great opportunity for Ruth to have a private conversation with Boaz. So she gets all dolled up and she sneaks to the threshing floor at night. And in Ruth chapter three, there's an event that is described in the text that Ruth Uncovered the feet of Boaz. Now, we're not really sure what that phrase means, and it's perplexed scholars for years. And there are some scholars who will tell you that this was really innocent. It just meant that Ruth came up and, and took a blanket off or, or, or um, the, 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 the clothes that were kind of draped over the feet of Boaz, and she just kind of pulled it back to expose his ankles and feet, and the coolness of the night air woke him up, and then they had their private conversation. Other scholars will tell you that this was a little more scandalous. The reality is we don't know what the phrase means. But what we do know is that this was Ruth humbling herself and asking Boaz in a very bold and direct way for help. And what's incredible is that the ask that she was proposing to Boaz was going to cost him a lot. I mean, not only would it cost him if he needed to help redeem the family, and in this culture what that meant is that likely when Naomi's husband Elimelech left to Moab, he probably sold all of his property. Which means, essentially, Ruth is asking him, Boaz, would you buy Naomi's property back and then give it to her? That's going to cost him some real money. But it also meant that if she married Boaz and Boaz didn't have a son, It meant that their firstborn son wouldn't carry on Boaz's name, but it would carry on Naomi's family name, Elimelech's name. Because in that culture, that's what you did to to carry on the name of the dead. And so this was a huge ask for Ruth to propose to Boaz. But what's incredible is Boaz doesn't see it that way. When she makes the proposition to Boaz, he looks at Ruth and says, Do you understand, Ruth, that you have actually just given me a gift? You've given the family gift to me. And so in this fourth gift exchange, it's the gift that Naomi gave to Ruth of trying to find a home. She's actually the one giving to Boaz. And I love how Boaz says it to Naomi. He says this in chapter three, verse 10. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier, meaning the kindness to Naomi. He said, you have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. So likely Boaz was much older than Ruth and he said, listen, Ruth, you could have gotten any guy in town, but you didn't, you chose me. And I realized the only reason you chose me wasn't because you have hopes and dreams of what you want your future to look like. You chose me so that you can be a blessing to Naomi. And Boaz understood that. He understood that Ruth was taking every action, not for her good, but for the good of her mother-in-law. And so he says this to her, he says, And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And then he goes on to tell her, Listen, there's actually somebody who's a little bit closer of a relative to Naomi than I am, and I need to give that man first right of refusal. But he said, I'll handle it in the morning. And so the next morning, he goes to the city gate where business was done. He finds the man. He explains Naomi's situation that we need to buy the property. And this guy says, you know what? That's the right thing to do. Let's go ahead. I'll go ahead and do it and and take care of that. And Boaz says, oh, one more thing. When you buy the property, you also receive or, or you get Ruth as your wife because we need to perpetuate the name of the dead. And this guy turns to Boaz and he goes, well, that's going to be a problem. He said, that may endanger my own estate, so I'm out. And you know what's so ironic about that? As you read the story of Ruth, and we know everybody's name. Every person who we are introduced to the character, those who are living, those who have died, we know all of their names except one person, and the one person's name we don't know is this guy. The guy who didn't want to participate in the family gift exchange because he thought it might endanger his name from being continued to be lived on in memory. And so this guy basically says to Boaz, I'm out of this family gift exchange. You go ahead, and Boaz does. And so in that next gift exchange, we see that Boaz now gives this gift to both Naomi and Ruth by choosing to be their family redeemer. And he marries Ruth. And when the elders of the town watch all this transaction taking place, and and, and after uh, he's acquired Ruth as his wife, the elders give a blessing to Boaz. And I want you to listen to the phrase that they give in chapter four, verse 12. They say this, they say, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. And that connects us to the story that Pastor Dale told us last week about Tamar and Judah. And it connects them because Tamar and Ruth were both non-Hebrew women. And both of these women took bold and selfless actions at great risk to themselves to continue and to perpetuate the family name and the family line. And it tells us that there's something more going on in this story than just a family gift exchange. And that leads us to the sixth gift. And this is a gift from God. God sees all this take place and he chooses to bless Boaz and Ruth with the gift of a child. And in that sixth gift exchange, God himself gives to them a child, and it is indeed a son, a firstborn son. And what's amazing about this gift is that Ruth receives this sixth gift that's from God himself, and just like all the other gifts she has received, what she does is she immediately takes the child as soon as he is born, and she places that gift in the seventh and final gift exchange into the arms of God. Naomi. In effect, saying, Naomi, this child is yours. This child will now continue your family line. It's an amazing story. And it's an amazing story of this family that just gives this gift back and forth to one another. So you might be wondering, what's the gift? Well, the gift that this family keeps giving and receiving to each other is actually a Hebrew word. It's used throughout the Old Testament. And the Hebrew word is chesed. It's a fun word to say, chesed. It's a really difficult word to translate. In fact, it's used in multiple different ways in our English language uh, when it's translated from the Hebrew based on the different contexts that it's translated. And sometimes it's translated as mercy. Sometimes it's translated as, as a loving kindness or as faithfulness. But I think Dr. Tim Mackey, who's a Bible scholar, gives what I think is the best definition of the word chesed He defines it as loyal love, and I love that, loyal love. I mean, as you think about the story of Ruth, don't you see that loyal love being passed around? I mean, Ruth gives this loyal love to Naomi and then and then Boaz gives a loyal love to, to Ruth and she passes that on to Naomi. Naomi gives it back to Ruth and Ruth turns around and gives it to Boaz. And, and then, then Boaz makes this commitment that he's going to take self-sacrificing actions to support both of them. And, and every time that loyal love comes and, and is received by Ruth, she turns around and gives it to somebody else. You know, the term loyal love is one that I think oftentimes we don't fully understand in our own culture. Love is not an emotion. Whenever God speaks about love, he never describes it as a feeling. We, We don't feel love toward other people. I think we misuse that so often in our own culture and context. You know, we say like, oh, we fell in and out of love, or you know, somehow it's like love is, is, this, is this spell that captivates us, and we just can't help but do something because we feel love towards something or somebody. That's not love. Love is always described by God as an action. We don't feel love, we do love. That when we love somebody, we take a series of intentional actions that are always for the good of another person, even and especially at the expense of ourselves. That's love. So when you choose to sacrifice something for your children, it costs you something, but it's for your kid's good, that's love. And when you add a loyalty to it, you essentially look at another person and you make up your mind that they are going to be the ongoing object of your love. That's what Ruth did. She looked at Naomi and said, I'm committed to you. I have a loyalty to you that I'm going to continue to to take selfless and sacrificial actions to help benefit you. And she just kept doing this over and over and over again. That's that's loyal love. And the question that, that we have to ask ourselves is, well, where did Ruth learn that? I mean, here she's a non-Hebrew. She's not part of the family of God. She got married in. Where did she learn about the loyal love? And I'm convinced that she learned it from Naomi. She spent about a decade with Naomi before her husband died. And I have to believe that in that time and in those interactions, she would have heard Naomi speak about the God of Israel, about Yahweh, about the covenant that he had made with their forefathers, about his loyal love, his chesed. And I think Ruth must have realized that that she could have been married to any man in Moab, but God arranged it for her to be married to this man so that Naomi could be her mother-in-law and she could learn about the chesed of God. And I believe that because Ruth realized that God had invited her into his loyal love, that she was then willing to give that loyal love to others. And in that way, the outsider becomes an insider. And it reminds me of the words that Ezekiel writes. These are prophetic words that that are spoken from God to, to his people about how his people can be transformed and how they can follow God's laws and what it takes to become somebody that can give loyal love. And Ezekiel writes these words. He says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's what God is saying to us, that if we receive his loyal love, he he changes us, he transforms us. And then God goes on to say, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. And then God says, you will be my people. And I will be your God. That sounds a lot like Ruth. The covenant promise that God has made to us is that same covenant promise that Ruth made to Naomi. Why? Because she realized that she had received God's loyal love. And this family goes on to share loyal love because that family gift that was given to Ruth and passed to Naomi. The gift of the son that was born, his name was Obed. And he became the father of a man named Jesse, who became the father of a man named David. As in King David. As in the David who had a man after God's own heart. The the David who fought Goliath, that giant. The the David who wrote so many of the Psalms. The, The David who became the great king of Israel. The David to whom God said, your descendant will always sit on the throne, the David to whom the Messiah would come in his line. And eventually that was fulfilled at Christmas when Jesus was born to the line of David, the line of Jesse, the line of Obed, the line of Ruth and Boaz. See, this family has always been about Chesed and Jesus is God's greatest chesed. That it's in Jesus we see the fullness of God's loyal love to us. That God said that even though you might have rejected my laws, even though you might have not followed my ways, even though you may have tried to run away from me, I am still committed to you, my loyalty is to you, and I will continue to show you my love, even if it costs me everything. And on the cross, Jesus proved his loyal love to us. And so, when we realize that we've been the recipients of God's loyal love, it changes us. And as soon as we receive that gift, we get excited to want to give that gift to others. So this Christmas, I think we need to take some time to reflect on the fact that we have become the objects of God's loyal love and we need to allow his loyal love to impact us that we need to become thankful for that 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 we give him praise and honor for the chesed that he has given and shown to us. And then that should compel us to be like Ruth, to find others that we can show that same loyal love to. You know, at this time of year, many of us are going to gather with family. And oftentimes, that can bring just a lot of tension because some of those family relationships are really difficult and really, really challenged. And for many of us, the thought of giving a loyal love to one of our family members is something that just seems like a a foreign concept because of how they've treated us. But what Ruth teaches us is that we choose to give loyal love to others not because they deserve it and not because they've earned it, but simply because God's given that to us. And so we choose to give a loyal love to them. So for some of us, it might mean making that phone call to that extended family member with whom you have a fractured relationship. Not because it's going to be good for you. It's going to cost you something. Maybe your pride, but it's going to be good for them. And that's the point. Or for others of us, maybe it's a neighbor or another family member or a friend that that we have had a strained relationship with. and, And perhaps the best way we could show loyal love to them this season would be using the words, I'm sorry. Or saying the words, I forgive you. Not because they deserve it. Not because they've earned it. May not even because they could be trustworthy with it. But simply because that's how God has treated us. And when we are members of his family, we realize that being part of the family of God means that we've received the family gift. And it's a gift that as soon as you realize you've received it, you need to give it away to somebody else. So to whom can you show loyal love this Christmas? Let's pray. Father, thanks for the story of Ruth. Lord, it's a story of, of, of romance, of, uh, of intrigue, Lord, a little bit of drama. And Father, even though this, this happened so long ago, so many of the relational dynamics that are at play, Father, are relevant in our own lives. And so, Lord, I pray that, that, that you would teach us about yourself through this story. Lord, that we would understand this incredible gift that you have given to us through your son, Jesus. And Father, that we would would take time to just say thank you and to be changed and transformed because of that loyal love you have given to us. And Father, I pray that, that you would change us to the point that even though we may not feel like it, we would be able to leave this message and to put your word into action by extending loyal love to others. Not to appease you, God, but simply to say thank you for the gift you've given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray, amen.